Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. He actually did a few 180s. The big change. Everything left, and that's when the light bulb went on. That's where it crystallized for me. God just opened my eyes. It caused me to change my mind. Changed my mind completely. In a culture as politically polarized and aggressively tribalized as ours, how do people change their minds? That's what this podcast is about. I'm Georgie Borman. Welcome to the 180 Cast. So at 26, I'm sitting there with my old wedding gown in my lap. And that was the first moment when I went, nope, these weddings, not worth it. Not worth the investment, the time, the stress, the emotional toll, the planning. The wedding was for naught because the marriage was essentially doomed. Okay, so we need to talk about this really big hard thing on which we might disagree, or we can try wedding cake. Which one do you want to do? Hi, welcome back to the 180 cast. I'm your host, Georgie Borman. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of couples have had to postpone or even cancel their weddings. I can't imagine how devastating that would be. I know many, many tears have been shed over the disappointment and justifiably so. Some are holding out hope and looking to have their dream wedding next year, hoping that maybe they can snag a weekday spot at their chosen venue in 2021, which is already mostly booked up because weddings are booked years in advance nowadays. Some other couples are just lowering their standards and looking at other options, including elopement or these uh, new newfangled mini-monies or tiny, more subdued, low-budget weddings, usually just with family to comply with the strict limits on social gatherings. This is all a shocking, massive departure from the norm for weddings in America and in many places across the world. Your wedding will in all likelihood be the the biggest event, the biggest social uh, event of your life. Of course, you know, if you have children that you are going to bring into the world, that'll probably be the biggest event of your life. But other than that, you're talking about your wedding. And it's one of the biggest events in your parents' lives as well. And it is deeply ingrained in our culture, this idea that we have to spend accordingly. The average cost of the American wedding is $33,000, equivalent to basically an entire year of working at 15 bucks an hour. Of course, many people spend far more than that. Ashley Fetters, writing in The Atlantic recently, makes the case that COVID-19, this pandemic may change the wedding scene for many years to come as tiny weddings just become normal. Many people will realize they can be just as special as the champagne-filled mega festivities we see in the wedding magazines and maybe... At the end of the day, a $200 dress can make you feel just as beautiful as a $2,000 one. But should this all change? Should we scale down the wedding mania? Or is there something very special about that that we need to keep? Is it 
fair? Is it right that we spend all of this money on something that is so important in our lives? Should we, in effect, say no to the dress? Here to explain how she changed her mind about the wedding industry is a returning guest. She is a professional writer and podcaster under the brand called Mama Cusses. She hosts a new podcast, eponymously named, about the unfiltered realities of parenting. Uh, I, I am pleased to say I just was a guest on that podcast and it was very enjoyable and I do encourage you to listen to it. Gwen Alethlin, thank you for coming on the 180 cast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you again. Me too. Okay, before we get started, don't forget you can subscribe in your favorite podcast catcher to the podcast to stay updated. We release a new episode every other Friday morning. And please don't feel shy about diving into the archives. We have dozens and dozens of interviews with fascinating people on fascinating subjects. This is evergreen stuff. It's always uh, good stuff to, to chew on and good conversation fodder as well and excellent for road trips, in my opinion. And I know a lot of you are going to be doing road trips instead of vacations because of the COVID-19 lockdowns and social distancing. So there you go. I'm also pleased to tell you about Christian Solidarity International later on in this episode. They do amazing work freeing slaves in Sudan. If you want to give to CSI right now, please call 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010. With that, let's dive in. Okay. So Gwenna, you used to be involved in the wedding planning industry. How did you get into wedding planning in the first place and why? Well, I started as what was called a wedding hostess and I was, what, what my role is, is at the church that my mom and I attended, if you booked our chapel, you had to have a representative from the church to make sure that you could access all the places, everything was being cared for properly, handled according to the contract that you had signed, and just to make sure that everything on the venue side went smoothly. So I got to work very closely with a lot of wedding planners in making sure that my venue was meeting the contractual obligations and, you know, that we were making a nice wedding for the brides and the grooms that had paid really good money to use this chapel uh, at which I attended church. And from there, I really got into, I loved the whole thing. The flowers were beautiful. I cried at every ceremony because I'm a crier. It was absolutely beautiful. So I started connecting with brides on a more personal level to help them find the vendors and connect with seamstresses and alteration companies and tux companies to put together all the various elements that goes into creating their dream wedding. Over the course of the four years that I was a wedding hostess and a wedding planner, I did about 35 weddings, which is admittedly small, but I did everything from those mini monies that you were talking about all the way up to might have rivaled royalty, at least for my area. And I had a lot of fun doing it. I really did. Um, when I got married the first time, I had been married twice. When I got married the first time, I went all out as far as my budget could take me and then a little past the flowers, the dresses, the songs and the scriptures and the readings. And, you know, my, my bridesmaids all had matching dresses. It was a lot of fun. And then I almost had to file bankruptcy to pay for it. Right. It was so expensive. 
And I'm sad to report, and I hope this is not the reality for most people, a huge, massive wedding I was still paying for when I got divorced three years later. So that was kind of my turn point is all this money, effort, time, and it still didn't do anything for the marriage. So was it worth it? Did I cover up some red flags in my own head because I was so wrapped up in this perfect bouquet, perfect matching boutonniere kind of conundrum? Did I forget that I was embarking upon a marriage because I was so wrapped up getting ready for a wedding? I I, I often wonder how often that happens because women get, you know, usually you're proposed to and you see the shiny diamond ring and then you immediately get all swept up in your imagination about what your wedding is going to be like and how beautiful it's going to be and everybody's going to be there and they're going to be you know cheering you on and so supportive and yeah i often wonder how much how much of an effect that does have on people and whether or not that does sometimes cover up some of the doubts that you might have especially if you've already gotten things secured you know you if you've booked a venue especially that's going to be probably the most expensive thing other than the photographer um, right. you might have already made a down payment on and and the florist and all the rest of that stuff i mean i i know somebody personally <clears throat> on my husband's side of the family who like everything was planned last minute um she decided no it wasn't a good idea not for her and she she doesn't regret that at all Right. Yeah. I I feel like the wedding industry, well, well, very fun. And I, and I do understand the appeal of creating for yourself a princess for a day experience. I get it. But when you talk to brides who planned their own wedding, a lot of times their stories don't involve feeling like a princess. They involve feeling like balls of stress in a princess gown. Mm -hmm. or a mermaid gown or, you know, a vintage gown, whatever they chose. (laughs) And there's just, there's so much detail and there's this pressure from unknown sources to get it perfect. Um, A friend told me a story that he was, he was, he was getting married and he had been with his fiance, now wife for many years. They'd been the cohabitate and decided to go ahead and make it official Mm -hmm. and give themselves a big wedding. They were lucky in that they were both highly driven professionals and they had some money to spend on a real big party. And he was driving to the venue because they'd chosen to separate the night before the wedding. And he was driving to the venue and he got a panicked call from his fiance. I didn't bring my hanger. And this was a hanger she had had custom made with their little portmanteau hashtag name. That's real popular in the wedding industries. Mm-hmm. And she'd forgotten it at the house. And she said, you have to go get it. I, I need that picture of my dress hanging on that hanger. And he's like, why? It's just a hanger. Put it on any of the other fancy hangers you've got. And she about had a meltdown. (laughs) So he turned around and he was late to the venue. And his best man was riding with him at the time and said, you know, she'd rather you be late to the venue with that hanger 
than on time without that hanger, because that will be the thing that she'll recall forever as the thing that ruined her wedding. Now, probably not. She's a very sane, lovely woman, but it was just a very stressful day for her when it should have been a day that was very happy. And I, I sometimes wonder if you're getting everything you can out of this very symbolic, very important day when you're so wrapped up in the details. It's, it's at least food for thought. I'm a big proponent of, I'm a big proponent of the mini monies. The symbolism wrapped up in weddings is important. I, I wear a wedding ring. I had an engagement ring until I accidentally broke it. <laughs> Thanks my kids. Um, but I still have all the pieces. <laughs> they just, just, <laughs> lives in a box. I can't wear it anymore. But I have a wedding ring and I'm a I'm a ring fiddler. So when I'm sitting there doing nothing, my thumb is just kind of turning the ring on my finger. I upgraded it, but I bought my basic white gold band from Walmart. I upgraded it with a little set of double bands that go on either side from Kohl's because the cost of the ring for me is less important than what it symbolizes. And I find at least for me, when I'm fiddling with my ring, my thoughts will stray toward my husband or a discussion that we had or just something sweet he did. So the symbolism wrapped up in the weddings is really important. And I understand that completely. The memories you create in a wedding are really important. But I firmly believe there are ways to create those and to provide those lasting symbols without spending thousands of dollars that you may or may not have. I've already told my, my eldest and I'll tell my youngest when they're old enough to care because they're two and they don't. <laughs> I, I already told her that if you choose to get married, I will not pay for your wedding. If you want to do a wedding, I will do what you ask me to and I will wear what you ask me to and I will smile and I will absolutely ball because hopefully you are marrying the love of your life. However, not going to pay for a dang penny. If you want to do a tiny ceremony and then say, hey, mom, we'd like help buying our first house, I will happily contribute as much as I possibly can to a down payment of your first home together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of parents are doing that nowadays, contributing towards some uh, their kids' first home in addition to helping pay for the wedding. It is, it's a fortune. And then with parents paying for for college on top of that. And sometimes they're buying their grads like new cars, or at least mm -hmm. they have a down payment on their new cars. It, it, it is a fortune to have adult kids nowadays. <laughs> and it's like me and my husband, you know, we're, we're sort of on an early retirement path. We wrote a book about it and we're pretty, you know, we're comfortably frugal, but we right. already decided and our oldest is three and a half. We're like, we are not paying for your college and it will probably help pay help pay for the wedding you know as long as we like approve of the guy but <laughs> you, you, no with college you, you're on your own we're not buying you a car um i guess i don't know if they do have a small wedding i think you you're on to the right idea of like maybe put that money towards their first home instead because homeownership's highly rewarding i mean especially if a paid off mortgage which we have as of like a month ago Wow! <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do we? How do we get on the subject? No. Um, <laughs> I was gonna get back to to what you're saying about when you change your mind. So, was there any like specific moment or something somebody said where you were like, oh, "This just isn't 
worth it? Uh, there, there was a specific moment and the potential trigger warning. I, I don't, I don't know, but I, I had left my husband for a multitude of reasons and I moved back in, into my mother's house. I was a boomerang child <laughs> for, for one brief second. And I had gone over to my ex's house to fetch all of my things, which he helpfully threw in a pile in the yard. Thanks. But I picked up all my stuff. And one of the things he pitched out on the lawn was my David's bridal uh, garment bag that had my wedding dress in it. I, I still had it. And so I shoved all that into the car and I took it back to my mom's. And of course, I am dealing with a divorce. I am separating from my husband and we had good reasons to separate, but it's still a very raw emotional experience when a marriage ends. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting in my childhood bedroom with my then two-year-old daughter playing in the living room. And I opened up my wedding dress, the, the garment bag, and I pulled out this beautiful dress that I loved. And I felt really proud of myself for how I found it and how I got it and the changes we made to it to make it my own. And that was the moment when I went, all of it meant nothing, nothing for me. And I pray to any and all gods you choose to believe in, worship and respect. No one else has this experience, but I know they do. And that was the moment where I went, huh, the wedding was for naught because the marriage was essentially doomed. Looking back with my decade and a half you know, of 2020 hindsight, that marriage was doomed from the first place, from the get-go. It was never going to go where either of us needed it to go. We weren't the type of people who belonged together for a lot of reasons that I didn't see at 23. So at 26, I'm sitting there with my old wedding gown in my lap and... That was the first moment when I went, nope, these weddings, not worth it. Not worth the investment, the time, the stress, the emotional toll, the planning. Even if some of those elements were really fun, I really should have looked more into my relationship with the man I was about to marry, the man I was making some big promises to and would later have a kid with and would later separate from. So... I did get married a second time a decade later, and I didn't do a big wedding. We got married at the lighthouse at which my husband proposed to me, and I wore a dress that I still own and wear to this day. <laughs> it's a pretty dress. I mean, I, I did buy it for the wedding, but I bought it with the intention of wearing it at the wedding and then forever after that. <laughs> right. So are there other things focusing on the relationship are there other things you think couples can and should focus on maybe even after they are engaged in putting their resources and life energy and maybe even money toward versus planning the wedding absolutely absolutely so i am personally a fan of cohabitation and I know that is not for everybody. And people have very valid reasons for not believing in cohabitation and living together before marriage. Um, I feel like that is a really important step. But even if that's not something that you and your significant other choose to do for religious or cultural reasons, go spend some money and go to marriage counseling, which so many people associate marriage counseling with a relationship that's falling apart or is in danger but marriage counseling equips two human beings who have come from 
different backgrounds, different histories, different life experiences, and equips them with the tools they need to communicate through their marriage. And communication, as every relationship expert ever will preach until the high heavens come down, is key to making a marriage successful, happy, and lasting. Go to marriage counseling. Go pay some money and pay a very nice human being to tell you how to talk to each other, especially when you hit moments of conflict. And every couple, no matter how honeymoony and lovey-dovey you are, you will hit moments of conflict. And if you know how to work through those, how to experience your emotions, communicate your needs, and listen to the other person, that's going to go a lot further than having picked the perfect uh, bouquet to carry down the aisle for one day. So, yeah, I mean, when when my husband and I got married, we were very young. We were 19. But um, the pastor, my longtime pastor of the church I grew up in, he doesn't officiate ceremonies unless you've had premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. So we did do a few sessions with him and he had us, you know, do some even um, what do you call them? Like assessments and stuff like compatibility assessments and stuff. Right. We got, I remember we got our scores back. We were like, right on. We are like on the <laughs> same page. And to this day, we're still on the same page. And I'm, I'm, and I'm glad that we did that, especially since we had, like, we didn't date for very long. Um, and seeing that we were so young. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always work out that way for people who get engaged at a very young age or people who, didn't date for very long. It doesn't always work out that way. And now like looking right. back again, like you're saying 2020 and seeing some other people's experiences, I'm like, yeah, the counseling aspect, doing counseling, putting time in that. And even maybe it, if you got engaged quickly, having a longer engagement mm-hmm. seems, seems smart. You know, if you jumped the gun and did get engaged, I, I think, Looking back, you know, dating for a longer period of time seems preferable, Um, especially for, you know, coming from a Christian perspective. I think that that's preferable. But like if if you're already there, like take your time because it's a huge decision and you can separate and get divorced, but you can't take back that experience. You can't erase all of that. Right. Um, You know, there are things that come out of a marriage including children that will be with you for the rest of your life that are, that are blessings, but there's also things that aren't going to be blessings. Absolutely. Well, I have a child with my, with my first husband and despite our fallout and the reasons that our relationship crumbled and and really should have ceased before it did. uh, I still have to look at him on the regular and co-parent with him. And there's a very petty part of me that goes, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you today. I have to, because it's for the good of our daughter, but I don't Mm -hmm. want to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think if I think of couples, I think if the wedding industry as a capitalist machine were to quiet down uh, and were to to cool their jets, as it were, as they're kind of being forced to. Thank you, COVID. That's the only time I mean, thank you, COVID. (laughs) I have other choice words for other times. (laughs) But I think if if the wedding industry as, as, as a corporate kind of driving, spend money, do these kind of things, uh, manipulator were to back off, there are way more important discussions for a 
long-term dating, hoping to get married, hoping to pursue and enter a marriage couple that don't involve, well, what should I write on the bottom of my shoes? And do I want the dress in the window shot? Valid questions if you're planning a wedding. Cute pictures if you get them. But there are far deeper questions like, do you know how to wash shoes? Like, is that a skill <laughs> you come to this relationship equipped with? Or is this always just going to be me? And, and kind of hashing out what it is to coexist with another human. Um, those are important questions to ask. What are we going to do when we have kids? Are you expecting to stay at home or are you wanting to return to work? And that goes for either partner. Um what, what are our long-term career goals? Because not all careers ride side by side. Um, if you're marrying a military person, you might be asked to give up everything you may have worked for. And you probably know that going in, but there's still discussions that need to be sat down and actually hashed out just to make sure you understand you're marrying into the military, you're marrying a moving truck. Mm-hmm. So those are far more important questions that I think couples tend to glaze over because they're wrapped up in flowers and dresses and lace and flower girls. So you think if people scaled back their wedding, they would be more likely to address these questions versus trying to get people to address these questions while also planning a big wedding. Yes. Yeah. I think if, if the demand for the perfect day were lessened, then I think people would be more likely, especially those who are entering healthy relationships, the ones who are entering, you know, the, the, the broken, iffy dependent relationships, they're unlikely to address the issues at any point. And that's very broad generalization. And I don't, I don't mean to single anybody or any particular group out, but um, generally speaking, if they're on solid ground in the relationship there, I feel they're far more likely to have those important pre-marriage or early marriage discussions if you're not sucked into, okay, so we need to talk about this really big hard thing on which we might disagree, or we can try wedding cake. Which one do you want to do? Right, right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I do have like one quick question before my final wrap up question. Um, It's more on like an economic level. Do you think, because you said you're a proponent of cohabitation, so it'll be interesting to get your perspective on this. Do you think that small weddings could help um, level the playing field between high income and low income couples? Because low income couples, according to the the polling, tend to be more pro-marriage, but they are less likely to marriage Perhaps, I mean, I think this is a, a big factor. This is what people suspect is because of the financial expectation that goes into the wedding. So if very small or subdued weddings were normalized, um, do you think that that could go any significant distance toward allowing lower income couples to like enjoy the benefits, including the financial benefits of marriage sooner um, because a lot of studies have shown that marriage is a major driver, driver of financial success, even over against cohabiting couples. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I really believe that, that if we were to scale back the demands and expectations of weddings, people would be quicker to get married 
or at least a little easier about it. I feel like in today's Western culture, the words wedding and marriage are erroneously interchanged a lot. Um, to have a wedding means to get married. To get married means to have a wedding. And those are, in fact, two completely separate happenings in mm -hmm. life. The fact that they happen almost at the same time uh, means that it's really easy to conflate the two. And I absolutely think that if smaller weddings were normalized, then yeah, people would be willing to take the plunge, to use the cliche, a lot sooner because there isn't this expectation that you have to have this grand wedding. Okay. So wedding and marriage get conflated. Yeah. I think if we were to separate those terms, we would be a lot better off because while they happen concurrently, they are completely separate aspects. You have a wedding to begin your marriage, but you don't need a wedding to begin your marriage. So, yeah, right. I... I think it would go a long way to improving marital relations and and dropping the divorce rate uh, because people would be more likely to embark on marriage and get all of the financial benefits of combining incomes and tax bracketing and retirement sharing and being able to get mortgages and, and leases because there's, there's two guarantors there. Um, I think all of those things would improve if we could separate wedding and marriage and if the the trend started towards smaller more approachable more affordable weddings you can have a beautiful wedding with a thrift store dress and a walmart cake and a ring you bought from the thrift shop yeah and, and it's interesting you say this because i think a lot of people would argue the other way around they say we have this huge big thing at the beginning of your marriage because this symbolizes how important it is and how seriously you need to take it. But you're saying people can actually take this less seriously because it's so much easier to talk about picking flowers and trying cake and right whatever else is going into it than talking yeah, those, about the hard stuff. Right. Those are easy conversations to have because if you disagree on flavor of cake, you disagree on flavor of cake. If you disagree on the number of kids you have, that's a discussion you're going to have to work through at some point in your marriage. It always surprises me how late in the game people uh, end up bringing up kids. I'm like the proponent of like, you go on a first date, that's one of the first things you talk about. You bring that in your little sticky note. Number I one, do you want kids and how many do you want? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I intend, I intend to procreate. Are you game? No. Okay. Well, thanks for the how, how many years into the marriage will you be willing to have a child with me? See, on my second marriage, I was like, look, if children represent baggage for you and you don't want baggage, I am the Titanic. Like right. we're just going down like this. So how about <laughs> now if you are uninterested in this ride? <laughs> okay. So Let's say that you you have a friend who just got engaged and they're really excited about this big idea of, uh, of a wedding. Maybe they haven't dated that long. You don't know a ton about this guy. You haven't spent a lot of time with him. Um, but let's let's say you're in that situation. What's your your elevator pitch to maybe get your friend thinking? Maybe think about a, a smaller, tinier wedding with less moving parts. And maybe put some of that money towards counseling. 
Absolutely. So the start of your marriage is going to happen whether you spend zero or a million dollars on your wedding. And the start of your marriage is what you're actually excited about. You want to spend the rest of your life with this human being. And I'm so happy for you. But you know, it'd be better is to spend a lifetime gathering friends and building relationships with each other, with these people that you'll meet as a couple. And when you get to 25 years of blissful marriage, then you throw yourself a party. Then you have pretty flowers and make yourself a princess for a day because you've climbed over so many hurdles together. It makes it so much richer. Mm -hmm. Have an anniversary party. Save the wedding. Go buy a house. Go buy a car. Go buy a dog. Mm. Yeah, and some people do have commitment ceremonies, you know, like 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. They have like recommitment or yeah, I think that's what it's called or anniversary parties or whatever. I love that idea. Love that idea. Yeah, that's that's my uh, my husband and I's goal is when we hit 25, then we're going to throw the party we did not throw when we first started our wedding or our wedding. Woo! There was a slip. Our <laughs> right. That's exactly what you were saying before. Yeah. It all makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Have, have an anniversary party, recommit yourself to each other, celebrate with the friends you've collected as a, a small lifetime's worth of coupling. Uh, your wedding, it, it can, your celebration can come later. Get ready for your marriage because after the first couple years, you hit the hard parts. Um, it, that's, that's just true. There's, there's science that after the first, the honeymoon phase wears off, then you start to see each other as humans. And if you can prepare for that humanity to present itself to you before you get there, it's easier to accept it. Yes. Agree. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to me about this, Gwena. I think that this is, I I hope I can share this with every person who's about to get married. I think this is a really good conversation for that. Um, okay. So listener, please uh, do not forget to check out Mama Cusses. And the new podcast called Mama Cusses, which hopefully if all this technological gizmo stuff goes well, uh, I will be able to have a conversation on that podcast, which I'm very much looking forward to. If you have thoughts on this podcast or you totally disagree and you want to flip out, you can call and leave a voicemail or text the flip phone at 323-999-1802, 0-2. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at 180cast. And please do consider giving the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts. If you like it, it only takes a few seconds and it really helps this podcast grow and get in front of more ears so we can have more lovely, interesting, productive conversations like this. Follow me on Parlor at Real Georgie Borman, where I speak my mind on a variety of topics, all opinions guaranteed sourced from outside the echo chambers until next time seek the truth share your values and listen with your heart and your mind god bless in the middle of struggles oh let me see who i am what i need who i've got in the middle of the struggles oh let me see who i am what i need who I've got executive producer kevin mccullough music by ruthie craft who i am what i need who i've got in the middle of the struggles oh let me see who I am, what I need, who I've got to be.